Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this week on the show, we had the lovely pleasure of being joined by a Star Wars High Republic author, George Mann, who kicks off Phase 3 Trials of the Jedi with his book, The Eye of Darkness. And Sarah, I just got to say, we are so back, baby. We are so back, baby, because (laughs) this book covers all of the characters that we have missed for the past like year and a half and that we have been thinking about like every other day. And I'm still traumatized by phase one. It's fine. We're, but we're back in it, you know, and I, I don't know. I don't know. We're here. It's, it's a good time. Who do we got on the roster today, Sarah? Who do we got? We got Avar Chris. Elzar Man. We got Porter Angle. Bell. Marcian Rowe. Gira, Gira Staros. Yeah. Lena So. They're all back. <laughs> They're all They're back, all baby. Back. <laughs> yeah. And it was so much fun to uh, have George on the podcast for this book. This is his first time on the podcast. And we're really delighted to have him for this book because we love it so, so much. And uh, yeah, we just got to dive into all these characters to get to talk about his process uh, of writing, you know, across the phases of the High Republic and this being his first adult novel in the High Republic. We dive into a lot of really great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're familiar with some of George's previous work, uh, he wrote Myths and Fables, Dark Legends, uh, In the High Republic. He's also done Showdown at the Fair, which is one of our favorites because it is a sticker book with Buriaga on the cover, I believe. And uh, he also wrote Quest for the Hidden City and Battle of Jeddah in Phase 2. So it was really awesome seeing him write the adult novel to kick off things for Phase 3. So, And a big disclaimer up front as well, there is a point in the episode uh, where we do start talking spoilers about the end of the Eye of Darkness in terms of uh, where certain characters end up in the story and how the book sort of wraps up. Uh, so some pretty, uh, not like too specific, but a- enough specific that you would kind of get the the general gist of of certain moving pieces that you might not want to know about. So Sarah does disclaim that in the interview. Sarah, any other thoughts on that before we get started? Yes, there's a point where George says, how far into spoilers are we getting? And we say, we'll warn the audience. This is us warning the audience there you that go. when he says that, there <laughs> will be spoilers. Yes. Uh, but if you have read the book, this is going to be a really fun interview. So make sure you stick through the entire thing because there is just so much baked into this. Uh, and if you're excited for the rest of phase three, we do get a fun little tease at the end that you may want to stick around for. So uh, stay tuned for that. So without further ado, Sarah, let's jump over to our conversation with author George Mann. George, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It is a big week for you. Uh, Not only your first Star Wars adult novel, uh, but also one that kicks off the beginning of uh, the High Republic Phase 3 Trials of the Jedi. Eye of Darkness is on bookshelves. How are you feeling uh, this launch week? Um, relieved, uh, exhilarated, um, happy. It's, it's been a great week. Um, to be honest, it's, you know, obviously a book like this, you work on for a long time. So, you know, behind the scenes, the, you know, the book's been done for a while and I've been anxiously waiting to see how it's going to be received. Um, and you know, my socials went crazy on, on Tuesday when the book hit, um, and just everyone's been so kind. And so, you know, it seems to be enjoying the book and that's, that's that's the the best feeling because that's you know that's why we do this you know so we write for the books to be read and and hopefully enjoyed by the audience so um so yeah so it's been a you know fans seem to be embracing the book and embracing me which is lovely um so yeah so there's a little bit of relief in there and and excitement and 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 joy you know um 
so yeah, it's uh, a, a lovely and to incredible week actually. Yay! I'm I'm so glad, and I will say as a fan, I I was like, I'll read a hundred pages tonight. That's what I'll do tonight. And I read the last 300 pages in a single go. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, I was listening. So I wasn't like, you know, I was doing a puzzle at the same time. And uh, yeah, no, I just was like, no, another chapter, another chapter. And then we're at the end of the book. So it was definitely uh, a really hooting and hollering over here. Fun they're, ride. Like they're, they're just short enough chapters where you're like, just one more, just one more, just one That's more. And you can just do that yeah. for the whole book. I, I learned that from thrillers, actually. That's a... Uh, um, you know, th- thriller re- writers do that. They have these short, punchy chapters. One of my favourite writers, Mike Craven, these chapters are, are like, you know, one or two pages. And sometimes they, they stop in the middle of a scene and then you, the scene carries on in the next chapter. But it, it really works the trick because you're turning the pages. So part of what I wanted to do with this book, I mean, partly it's a, a it's because there's so many POVs in the book to juggle. Um, but also it, it really helped to be able to kind of go like one scene at a time, do, do a scene per chapter, and it just helps drive the pace through the book. Um, so it's great to hear that it's actually worked as well. <laughs> Very effective Definitely. for me. <laughs> yeah. When we have anybody on, uh, we love to ask them about like your first introduction to Star Wars and and what brought you to this galaxy far, far away and, and, and what makes you stay in this galaxy far, far away? Yeah, um, it's a it's a galaxy that I've loved since I was a very little kid. Um, over forty years now, scarily. Um, but I, my, I, I don't have very very many memories from from kind of being around the age of four. But one of them is that my grandfather took me to see The Empire Strikes Back, because um, he used to take me to the cinema a lot. Um, so kind of a lot of my memories of him, and he was a wonderful man. And you know, he died when I was quite young but I have very fond memories of him and a lot of them are centered around the cinema and going to the cinema and um, Empire Strikes Back was one of those movies and um, following, I mean, I, I remember kind of sitting there going, <laughs> like looking up at the spaceships, you know, um, but R2-D2 really stuck in my head as a kid. Um, you know, it, it just, I mean, George Lucas was a genius for, for what he did, um, making that those films work on so many different levels. Um, and, for me, R2-D2 was just like, oh my goodness, I want an R2-D2 unit, you know. Um, and my parents got me the action figure and then that started, you know, a craze of buying more and more action figures. Um, my dad really enjoyed Star Wars as well. Um, so he bought the sticker books. Like, um, I don't know if, like we have Panini stickers over here and I, I guess you might have Merlin sticker books. I don't know if they're the, the same sort of thing where you buy blind packs of stickers and you stick them in the in an album. So we had sticker books of Star Wars and my dad would kind of every night from coming home from work, he'd bring home a packet of stickers and we'd go and, and he had an album too. And we would can put the swaps in his album, you know, and build them both up. Um, so, and then my cousin got, had action figures as well. So he would come up, come to visit occasionally and we would play with our action figures. Um, so, you know, from that point on, it just, it, I guess one of the things I've lo- always loved about the Star Wars universe is it feels like um, a real universe where you can tell your own stories in it. It always has, you know, irrespective of being a writer, as a, as a child, being able to kind of go, oh, I'm going to tell my own stories about these characters or, you know, get my action figures behind the sofa and make some scenery and, you know. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I've stayed in it, stayed with it so long, um, you know, going on as, as an adult to um to read books to kind of watching the the other movies when they arrived um and um yeah still collecting toys to be honest as well <laughs> same same here yeah. also same yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about Star Wars, though, is that mythology keeps building itself and keeps growing. And I think that's what's so special about what you and the rest of the Luminous authors are doing with the High Republic is because it is so distant from what we know. Um, you can play with those action figures however you want. You can really do what you want in that sandbox. So considering, you know, you've written a lot of stories in Star Wars across different eras, too, um, not just the High Republic. But like, what do you feel is the core appeal of the High Republic? Um, from a creator standpoint and also like you being a longtime Star Wars fan and like, why does this body of work engage? Uh, like why, why do fans engage so positively and passionately about this? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. I, um, you know, it's, and I, I guess there were, there were lots of different answers and if we knew it, we could bottle it and, and, you know, cause it's bottled lightning, isn't it? It's that, that thing. But, um, I think it's to do with, which touches on what you said about mythology and, and kind of, but I think it's because it's new, but it also feels like Star Wars. So it's it kind of feels feels true to Star Wars. It feels like a Star Wars story that's being told, or lots of Star Wars stories that are being told in this kind of this, this sandbox. Um, but it also has a freshness and newness to it. A bit like when you know when we first saw the prequel movies, and it was like you know, the spectacle of it. Um, like, we've gone back in time. We're seeing this different era. There were, there were more than one Jedi, you know. Um, and and I think it's a bit like that. It's a bit like, you know, we're, we're doing something slightly different with the villains in particular. Um, we don't have, you know, um, red lightsaber-wielding Sith, as cool as they are, and as much as I love writing those guys. What One of the things I think is great about the High Republic is that we didn't go down that route. We kind of went, no, we're going to do something very, very different. We're going to do chaos versus order. Um, chaos as kind of exemplified by Marky and Roe and Order as exemplified by the Jedi Order and the Republic. Um, so I think it's a it's a very different type of Star Wars story, but it still feels like Star Wars. And it's um, and you know what George Lucas did was create a modern mythology with Star Wars. Like you know I love folklore and I love the, the myth, mythological tales and you know they've come out of history. And um, I think what Star Wars is, is a modern version of one of those. So it's a framework of great heroes and great villains and great moral stories and cautionary tales. Um, that's why, you know, the, that's why we did the myths and fables books that, that, you know, I think worked well on that level. Um, and I think the high Republic is that written, written large, you know, it's, it's, it's adding depth and more mythology to the ongoing Star Wars universe and enriching it. Um, but, I think there's also a, a kind of thing, you know, a lot of people um, uh, you know, have been saying this week about, oh, you know, with Eye of Darkness, you've put us through the ringer. What are you doing to these characters? Um, one of the one of the cool things about it is you don't know who's going to live or die. And for as a as a reader and as a fan, that's really exciting because you know, as as as, as joyous as it is to be able to write a story about Luke Skywalker or Qui Gon Jinn, you know, I've recently been working on a Qui Gon Jinn story. I mean, that's brilliant to get my hands on Qui-Gon Jinn, but you know he's going to be alive at the end of the story. Of course he is. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, we, we know his life and death story. So this is a, a snapshot into his life. And, it, and you know, you hope writing a story like that, you can help shed more light on that character and deepen that character. But the stakes aren't quite the same as, you know, is Elzar going to make it? Is Avar going to make it? What's going to, what's, what's going to happen to Porter after where we've left him? In the, you know, so... Um, that, that jeopardy adds something, I think for, um, for, for readers as well. 
the answer is stress. It adds stress to the answer. <laughs> the the amount right. of time, the amount of time I spend up at night, like, oh my God, where are they? What are they doing? And to finally be reading them again and, and being like, okay, this is what Avar is doing. This is what Alistair is doing. This is what Belle is doing. And then being like, okay, now I finished the book. Back to waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the most fun parts about the High Republic. Like, despite how tragic it is, there is a lot of hope in it. But also, we've kind of all, as a fandom, like embraced the meme of like, what have you done, George? What have you done, Kevin? What have you guys done? Um, and we always say that with like as much love as possible because the, yeah, the fact that we even feel that passionate and uh, we care for the characters that much speaks uh, volumes. So, yeah. thank you for, yeah, for all the no, pain no. and the hope you bring. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but what's what's great about that as from a from a, our perspective as creators is we you know you, you know how much people care about these these characters um you want to do your best work you want to tell the best stories you possibly can and be true to these characters for people because you want them to to carry on that love and you you don't want to you know you don't want to let people down so i think it helps us raise our game as well you have written with Star Wars before, of course, and we've read these stories and whether it be myths and legends or uh, the, you know, the, the, the eight by eight kids books that I love in phase yeah. one uh, or the Battle of Jedi. We see many stories from you. Uh, but what was it like kind of joining the High Republic group of authors and doing all of those stories across the eras? Uh, and, and what kind of lessons did you learn from your past works uh, in Star Wars and in the higher public that you brought into this adult novel. Good questions. Um, so, well, so my history with with the higher public comes from um, originally from Dark Legends. So, um, I was I, I you know the, the series of books, myths and fables, Dark Legends, Life Day Treasury, and um, so I was Speaking writing. Which, Dark happy Life Day, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just gotta shout that out while we're here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was I I I've been working on the Dark Legend stories for a little while when Mike Siglain contacted me and said, We want you to do an extra story um for that's linked to the High Republic, um, you know, with the Drengit. Um and actually it ended up being the first published piece of High Republic fiction. It kind of s- snuck out there. Um so and but in the process of that, kind of Mike said, Oh look, what I'm gonna do, because I, you know, you, you work closely with Luke's film, you build that trust up. He said, I'm going to send you all the documents about High Republic Phase 1 um, so that you can read all the background and the story that we're developing. Um, partly so you can write this story, but also read it all and take it all in because at some point I would like you to join the team. So I was kind of, you know, super excited at that point. And, and as a fan, I was getting a bit of an inside track. So I got to, you know, to read the, the work that the original five architects had done um, and to read the um, manuscripts as they were being written as well. You know, as the, the first and second drafts came in the books, um, especially, you know, as, as I started to adapt to some of those elements into the, the eight by eight storybooks. So, um, so it was a lot of fun kind of touching in on that. Um, and then the time came to, for Mike, to, you know, he said, Phase two, we're going to open things out. And we're going to have a few extra writers. George, you're already primed, you know, so you're on the team if you want to do it. <laughs> of course I want to do it. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so then we started to kind of look at what projects would suit me. And, you know, I'd, I'd, written, I'd written a lot of adult novels before. That's my background. But I'd obviously written middle grade um, or at least all ages um, Star Wars with the Myths and Fables books. So doing the middle grade the first middle grade book of phase two seemed an obvious choice i'd also i also had a history writing audio drama 
Um, so again, it was a kind of like, so, you know, out of the people on the team, myself and, and Cav were the people who had a background in writing audio drama. So it was, again, an obvious choice to go, right, well, Cav did the last one, you do the next one. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I, I loved writing those stories and exploring those. But um, I, I guess in terms of lessons, I'm not sure there's, there's lessons as much as um, decisions and, and opportunities that came from writing uh, the, 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 the adult book for, for phase three because it's a broader canvas. Um, so, you know, with a, with a children's novel, you're obviously writing. Uh, I, never, I never want to write down to children, but you're writing in a, a kind of more a simple story um, with clearer kind of um, moral structure to it um, and shorter chapters and, you know, simpler language. Um, and you don't have as much space to to kind of expand and, and, and really go deep into characters. And it's actually, it's very similar with an audio drama because uh, an audio, a bit like a comic, is a collaborative exercise. You, you know, what you write isn't for end consumption, although people obviously do read the script book. Um, but with a comic, what you're doing is you're writing for the artist and then it's your dialogue that makes it to the end. But but the artist interprets that. And it's the same with actors interpreting characters for audio. So you you, you leave a lot of the characterization to the actors to bring to the character. Um, so it's not so much on the page as in it's the collaboration of the of the script with the artists who are performing it. With a novel, it's all you. It's very personal, um, and you have a much, much more space. You know, I, I think you know, Battle of Jeddah is probably something around sixty thousand words. This is, I think, I've done this one hundred fifteen thousand words, something like that. So you, you know, you're talking nearly twice the length, um, and four times the length of a of one of the children's books. So you're getting kind of really, you've got that space. Um, and while I wanted the book to be action packed and have some. Um, some good kind of Star Wars action sequences and lightsaber battles, you know, you've got to have that in a Star Wars story. I really wanted it to be an opportunity to for it to be a um, a deep dive into characters, a, a character study of these core kind of representatives of the different factions in the in the High Republic. Um, so, you know, I got to spend a lot of time in the heads of people like Elzar and Avar and Porter and Gira, um, you know, um, and Bell, which was brilliant. It was a brilliant opportunity. Um, so that's, so I guess rather than a lesson, it was kind of, you play to the format you're writing in. And in that case, it was kind of like, okay, well, this is, this is a chance for me to say some of what I want to say about Star Wars um, and to, um, to kind of really explore how these characters are feeling at the start of this phase. You did a great job getting into the characters' minds, and uh, for Sarah and I, we were very excited for the specific points of view that were chosen throughout, um, but we also love the amount of like world-building that you did and sort of the, the geopolitical climate of the galaxy at this time between the Stormwall and what's going on with the Senate and the Guardian Protocols, you know, all those things have kind of built up to this point. Um, how would you describe the beginning of Phase 3? Because there is a lot going on in the galaxy far, far away. And um, what tone did you and maybe the rest of the crew want to establish for the beginning of this phase and, and making sure that comes across the page as well? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I'll, I'll take credit for the writing, but I, I can't take credit for the whole geopolitical context of it. That's the team. That's a team effort. You know, we're, we're a writing room and we, we all work very closely together and plan the stories across, 
you know, the trilogy of adult novels, the the trilogy of YA novels, etc. You know, and, and with, we're thinking about how everything interrelates. Um, so, so yeah, we 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 discussed it a lot, um, and I think um, you know it was we wanted to show the Jedi at the lowest ebb. I suppose you know, I, like although certainly the lowest, the characters at the lowest ebb, not necessarily the Jedi, but. Um, They've lost the Republic and the Jedi have lost at this at this stage, and and what's more, we've, it's it's been a year since we saw them last, and in that year, they've not had any other successes. You know, or any successes they've had have been minor, like Marky and Roe uh, segmented half the galaxy, you know, a big chunk of the galaxy. Um, he has a weapon that can kill the Jedi, um, which means you know they've gone from being these figures who can do anything that you know like these super heroic figures who um represent kind of peace and justice um and protection for the entire galaxy to to running scared and retreating to coruscant um so that puts them in an interest that puts you immediately in an interesting place as, as a writer because you, you you're looking at kind of heroes who are running scared um so um you know i think that's the that's the political climate that we're in at the, when when we approach Eye of Darkness. It's you know Mark Rowe has he's not just kind of done the um, the you know, the great disaster with the legacy run. He's not just uh, attacked the uh, the fair at Velo. He's not just dropped Starlight Beacon into the ocean of Irem. He's also segmented a chunk of the galaxy and um, and shown the Jedi to be not what everyone thinks they were. That's you know that's how everyone feels. Um, so so from that point on, it's you know this is the dark night of the soul of the High Republic. You know if you look at that kind of classic story structure, and we've not necessarily talked about it in those terms, but if you think of like the save the cat style terms, you know to, that's the point we're at in the story here. It's the lowest ebb. It's the you know, and from here, surely things can only get better. You'd hope. We hope, but we, we hope don't so. know. <laughs> I'm saying I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, wait and see. <laughs> Everyone's gonna have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't feel so good after reading the uh, the prologue in this one. And a special yeah. shout out to the line: "Fear could bring down the stars." That that made me feel oh, something I... deep inside. And I I gotta wonder. Um, both of our ears perked up as as big Roth's novelization fans, thinking uh, love could ignite the stars, uh, and then yeah. going to fear could bring down the stars so it, that that path feels bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. less hopeful <laughs> no, that's, i mean i i was i was pleased with, with when that line appeared because i was just you know writing as you do and it's like oh no okay no you know starlight beacon and the stars and you know it's like ooh, that's meaty um but yeah i mean again you know that's that cell that that prologue tells you something about the state of the galaxy at that point he's got a grandmaster in a cage um you know it's a pretty pretty bad situation um and um you know and the fact he um i don't know you know i don't know how far we're going with spoilers um in the conversation so you know but we'll warn our listeners one way or the other here so okay so so the fact that he then you know executes a, a grandmaster it's like it's it's another escalation it's like you know we've seen him kill Jedi, we've seen him kill Jedi Masters. Now we've seen him kill a Jedi Grandmaster. And and even he couldn't really, I mean, he tried pretty hard, but he didn't manage to stand up against the Nameless. So, you know, the Jedi are right to be scared of him. 
Right. Yeah. And that was, um, I think that was chapter 11. Didn't feel so good. That's one that I'm going to think about for a a couple. There's a few chapters where I, every once in a while, I just go, oh, and it's like chapter 18 in Shadowfall (laughs) or the last chapter of the Rising Storm, chapter 11 of this book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've had quite a few, quite a few people have dropped me a message going, chapter 11, man. (laughs) I remember actually when, um, you know, Tessa, Tessa Grattan, who's, um, you know, obviously one of the the, the writers, um, had, I was reading the first kind of draft of Pass of It, and I just, I remember getting a text from her going, oh my God, <laughs> I've just read that scene. Oh my God. I was like, oh, this is, you know, I think I might be on something good here if that's, yeah. if that's and, you know. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I was like, okay, I, I, I see what he's up to. I see what our characters, <laughs> where they're at and know what the stakes are at this point. Okay, yeah. I'm on this journey, you know, as it so is. When you know you've made it is when people know the chapter number specifically. That's because that, it's seared into their memory. They can't, they can't forget it. <laughs> I had, um, it's the first time this has ever happened. Actually, today, someone posted a reaction shot of them reading the book, and there were tears streaming down their face. And I was like, I felt a bit guilty. <laughs> Brad and I have a couple of those as we've been reading it. You know, just over the years of us reading books together, of like selfie of us in this one moment. Oh my god! Yeah, so those are those are very real. They happen, I think, more often than maybe any of us know. Yeah. Um, you know, but we've been talking about some of the points of views that you've been able to dive into, and and you got to to touch on some great characters, uh, fan favorites, and also some that we haven't seen a ton of point of view uh, content for, kind of like Gira. We've seen a bit from her, but not as much as some of our other characters. Um, you know, what character were you most kind of eager and excited to write the perspective of? Is there anybody who proved to be more of a challenge to navigate through their brain? Uh, and it, are there any characters that you're super excited for fans uh, who haven't picked up the book yet uh, to to read and discover in this story? Ooh, good questions as well. Sorry, that's like three questions in one. No, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was very excited to get get to write Burry. I know I didn't actually end up writing anything from his point of view because, um, you know, the, the, fun, the, the role he's playing here is concerned friend for for bell really you know bell's bell's gone out of his way in charles's story and tells of line life to um to to save burry and burry's obviously very grateful for that but bell's obviously like no one's in a great place actually probably apart from burry who's in a pretty good place um in this book i mean he's 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 still saddened by everything he's seeing but you know he's alive and he's with his friends and you know um He's just but, vibing. Uh, he's an empath, you know. He's just having a good exactly. time, no matter what. Yeah, it, but, yeah. It, not when people are feeling bad, though. That's <laughs> not how that works. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but Bell was a challenge actually to write because um, you know I wanted him to be angry, um, but also you've got to be careful with a Jedi who's angry. You know, that's that's you don't see a lot of angry Jedi who who aren't on a path to something you know dodgy really, and that's not Bell's path at all. Um, so, or certainly, you know, not at the moment. Um, so that was a kind of a fine line to walk, really, to, to go and kind of go, okay, how how can he be angry and still be um, still be true to his, his, his kind of the Jedi Order and, and his Jedi roots? And um, and I think that's where Burry came in as as, as kind of the, the tool to use there as a writer to be able to kind of walk Bell back. Anytime Bell got to the point where he's like, no, 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 we're gonna and he's about to do something drastic. Burry's there to go, just remember, 
it's okay. It's all right. You know, we're Jedi. Um, this is going to be okay. And um, and that for me was a it was a you know joy to write that relationship as well. Particularly those moments where the two share a bit of a hug. Um, so so that was that was kind of both challenging and rewarding. Um, I enjoyed writing Avar quite a lot as well. Um, getting my hands on some on, on, on Avar and, and and showing her journey really. I and mean, because I think for me, um, Avar's journey in the book is kind of indicative of what I think the Jedi need to learn in this phase. And that's about you know what we're seeing with the Jedi is they're they're not fractured. They're still the Jedi Order, but they're acting a lot as individuals. You know, like Yoda's like obsessed with, well, we've got to figure out the nameless problem. You know, we can't do anything else until we've figured that out. To the extent he's even bringing Aslin back, um, much to the, to the annoyance of some of the other members of the council. Then you've got Elzar, who is desperately trying to um, to be a mix of Selen and Avar in their absence, and um, and failing at both. And what what he really needs to do is just to be himself. You know, Elzar is good enough. But he doesn't. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it about himself because he's because of what everything that's happened. Um, and then, and, and what Avar's doing is, you know, she's stuck behind the occlusion dome, and she's not really trying to get out, and she's kind of hiding. She's she's like um, she's hiding from from herself. She's hiding from her titles. You know, the, the hero of Hetzel, the fact that you know Marshall Starlight Beacon, and she's kind of thinking. None of that worked. I, I I did all these things and and it, and I failed at it. Um, but what I do remember how to do is be a Jedi on a small scale and to kind of just do the right thing every day to get up and do the right thing every day, which is admirable. And she's made you know she's she's making a small difference to people's lives. But it's she's thinking that all these small differences are going to add up to a big difference, and they're not. They're not not in the face of Marky and Rowe. Um, and I think what the, what. Avar's journey in the book is is that she has to remember that she needs to be a part of something bigger, and that she's got friends and, and support, and that if they work together, they'll they can they can achieve more. And I think that's the relationship um, with Belin, the Ugnaught, that really helps bring that out. And Belin Belin's one of those characters that I can't wait for me people to meet because he's 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 not, he's not even in it that much, but he's he's like this little insightful guy who's like he's a bit grumpy and. Um, but he says he says things how it is how they are and you know and he's he, and he calls Avar out on this um, and helps her see it and then then she hears that message from Elzar and um, and it kind of brings her around a bit and it's just like oh no no okay I've I've got to step back into the fight and um, and that's how I feel like you know that that's the, that's the lesson the Jedi need to learn um, so so yeah so that I think you know that's. They're the characters that I really, I mean, and, and Elzar as well. I mean, obviously, I, I I loved writing Elzar. He's obviously not in a great place in this book. Um, he never seems to be doing particularly well. <laughs> but yeah, he's got a beard, you know. He's he's really grown it out. But it's kind of like it, it's, there's that cool, that's that interesting thing with the beard, which is like you know, is he growing the is he growing the beard out because he's just a bit of a mess and he's not looking after himself, or is it because he would just want, he's trying to be too much like Stellan? And there's you know or it's a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, I think is is what's going on, um, but yeah, I, I think a character like that is um, is a blessing for a writer because it's, it's something to get your teeth into. You know, it's like you know, a character who's happy all the time can can be fun to write, but you can't really. It's hard to really go deep. Um, 
But with character who's kind of torturing himself like Elzar is, there's there's a lot to get in, stuck into, and that really allowed me to kind of really dig into him as a character. Um, so you know, I hope that comes across to people. I think it was it was great to see. Well, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to myself for it. Was great to see these characters struggle in a different way because you know we know that Elzar has been struggling in in various ways and and dealing with that and then we're seeing you know the aftermath of the starlight beacon fall but avar has she's been the hero of Hetzel. she's been the marshal of starlight beacon she's been a bit of an untouchable figure in some ways you know around her titles and then seeing the way that she does as you mentioned kind of get up every day and attempt to do something right and attempt to just stay alive and and stay hidden in this really kind of dangerous zone. Um, but then realizing that her efforts are a momentary moment of reprieve, but not at the same level of, you know, being a hero of Hetzal or of the whole world or the starlight beacon. I thought that was super compelling and, and, and just a really captivating way to kind of just understand these characters better. And, and, um, give give more layers to the Jedi who, you know, every once in a while, as much as we've seen their faults over time, still have that sort of legendary status in, I think, the the fans' eyes often. Um, so, yeah, there's no question at the end of this one. I'm just <laughs> just thinking about them. So sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's great to hear, though, because that's, that's what I wanted to do. It's like, to, like, they're just people. You know, they're people who can do extraordinary things. And I think um, it's very easy to forget. And, I, you know, I've, I've written superheroes before, and, and I think it's very easy to forget that people who do extraordinary things, it, it takes a toll on them. You know, it, it's like, you know, you can't, you can't live your life dialed up to 11 all the time. Um, and, you know, and that's, and that's kind of what I really wanted to explore here. It's like, you know, th- these, these guys wake up every day and they're expected to save the galaxy. It's like, it's, what's that going to do to you? Um, and then especially, and, it, and it's fine when it's all going well, when it's, when it's easy, when everyone goes, oh, it's the Jedi, they've turned up, of course, we'll do everything that we're told to do. And, you know, um, but that's the opposite of where we're at, because actually, you know, Marky and Rose shown them that, that that's not going to work. That's not, that's the, all the time that they're, they're not infallible. And so they're facing that infallibility quite starkly, some of them for, for the first time, probably. It's, and and you kind of think about well, how would I feel in that situation? I'd be pretty broken. I think infallibility is maybe why we uh, gravitate towards the High Republic era so much because even though it was pitched as the Golden Age, it has been anything but the Golden Age. At least the bits that we've seen of it, um, with this big Nile threat and the Nameless threat and all that. But uh, infallible characters in Star Wars you know, like Luke in The Last Jedi, like Obi-Wan in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, people who were often considered the best of us, like Avar, you know, um, I think those sorts of stories really highlight like what the weight of expectations can do to a person, like you said, like turned up to being 11 all the time, um, but also just like speaks to their resiliency and how they bounce back. And that's why I, I love the moments for Avar throughout this book of just like, I've been through it. I, I've tried to hide, but I can't hide any longer. And I have to like kind of maybe not return to the legendary status like I was before, but enough of a version to inspire hope, you know, like much like Luke, right? Luke doesn't come to the yeah. battle of crate 
as like the super acrobatic guy who's taking down ad ads. He's just standing there, you know, just enough, enough of a symbol to mean yeah. something to people. And I think that's kind of what Avar's journey is here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just recognizing, I think like, like I mentioned earlier, it's like that, but I think that's the, the fundamental difference between the High Republic and, and the Skywalker saga is that they're not, they're not alone. They, you know, and that's, I think that's a big part of, of, of kind of, the realization that they're all coming to towards the end of the book it's like you know actually pull together we can do this we can lean on each we can be on open and honest with each other um which is a strength that they have that that luke never had um, mm-hmm. absolutely so. people who have each other in the heroes there are also some characters in this book that uh at the end of the day have no one but themselves and i, I would say that the nile marsham Rowe, gira all of our friends, General Vies, um, at the end of the day, the trust, the vulnerability is not there. And I think that, you know, the storm wall is really fascinating because it poses this like very physical threat for our heroes. Um, but it also, uh, you know, is kind of a metaphorical threat. And it also serves to isolate both parties, our heroes and our villains. You know, what do you feel is motivating Marsham Rowe in this book? And, and uh, how great are the threats against the Jedi compared to what they've had to, to face before, uh, despite, you know, the, the faults of the Nile? I think, I think um, Markion is, is a fascinating villain. Um, and I, I, because, because he's so unpredictable, um, one of the things I didn't want to do a lot in the book was get inside his head. I wanted to have show show his effect on everyone else, but not actually spend much time inside his head because a bit like you know, um, if you write Sherlock Holmes, you need to see it from Watson's point of view because if you're inside Sherlock Holmes' head, you're you're in the head of a genius, and that's very hard to portray effectively. And with Markian, you know, I think he's most effective when you don't know what he's going to do next, and. Um, what was really inf- interesting to me about uh, in the writing of this book is whenever I write a book, there's always a pivotal moment where I write something almost and it almost unexpectedly clicks. And I go, that's what this book's about. That's the theme of this book. Some books it happens early, some books it happens right at the end. And you look back and you go, oh, wow, okay, I've just written a book about X, Y, or Z. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Um, with this book, it was about halfway through. And it's the moment when, um, and it's, it's quite a quiet moment. It's the one moment when Markian drops his guard and he's talking to Gira and he says, um, you know, what the Jedi haven't learned yet is that to to win, you have to become your enemy and by becoming your enemy, you lose. And and that's his big admission that really, that he's actually is at sea because he's he's won everything he thought he, he wanted. You know, he, he, he brought, he's brought the Jedi to their knees. Um, he's segmented this section of galaxy. and But actually all he's done is build himself a prison. You know, of his own design because you know you've got gira who understands that the the nile are failing in the sense of they're not necessarily failing in terms of, of what markin wants but they're failing in terms of um any kind of structural government to to look after all these people that they've put inside this occlusion zone um and it's not that's not going to end well there's billions of people on on hundreds of worlds locked inside this exclusion zone and if there's no infrastructure 
they're going they're going to rebel they're going to die it's you know and it's going to be their fault so gira knows that to survive this and she's obviously thinking from a very selfish point of view as well to survive this we have to turn into a government we have you know she's she's got rid of the tempests um and she's formed ministries she's she's lying to um coruscant about how yeah, everything's really swanky behind the storm wall you know we're all everyone's really happy and you know we're we're very efficient and we, we let's 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 do a deal let's have some you know let's have a treaty between us um well that's not what mark and roe wants he's an agent of chaos he's you know like it's the last thing he wants he wanted to bring that down that's his that's you know he's an anarchist um and literally nihilist um so you know he He's lost in this book, I think. He's in, in the sense that he, he doesn't know what to do next. So, so why I think he's doing things like, well, let's execute a Jedi Grand Master and broadcast it. You know, he's he's um, he's pushing and pushing and pushing to try and get reaction, or constantly trying to get reaction. Okay, I'll, ex- I'll I'll make the storm wall expand, get reaction, get a reaction, because you know that's what he wants. He wants chaos. He we wants fighting um doesn't want peace and um i think it's going to be fascinating to see how his story develops now um from here um and how that relationship with gira develops you know they're they're lovers but they're obviously not quite comfortable in each other's presence anymore um not quite happy with each other's politics and, and machinations um so that's interesting um but yeah, I think that's for me. That's what makes Markian so scary as well, because uh, you know, what's he going to do? What's, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be uh, a figurehead of a government. No, mm-hmm. nor do I Not want to be a figurehead <laughs> of the government. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had that type of, of, of government recently. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a reactionary. He he likes to he likes to show force when he can, and uh, and then you know, recede back into his sort of, uh, his throne and his, and the, and the comfort of his tower, you know, literally shaped like a, he's got like a, a window, like the, uh, that's shaped like an eye now, which, yeah. uh, for me, made me think of Emperor Palpatine, uh, in Return of the Jedi with his window and his chambers. And I'm just like, yeah, Martian's at a point where he's just got to sit back, pull a couple strings here and there. And he, he just, he doesn't want to go beyond that. He doesn't want to keep pushing it too much. He wants to push it a little bit. Um, like you said, to get a reaction out of people, and he's he's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean that's but I think that's the thing. It's like so you you go you when you're kind of doing something like this, you know, one of the one of the great things about the year the years jump from Fallen Star to this is um, it allows you to reintroduce everyone and where they're at as a writer. But it also you're introducing the status quo. This is the new status quo of the galaxy, and actually. Status quo isn't a thing that exists in Markion's head. He doesn't want a status quo. He wants everything to be in flux all the time. And if you, if you kind of think that about him, then that's you know that's that's a that's to me is a lot more scary than an Emperor Palpatine because he's, it's that you know Palpatine you know what his goals are. You know he wants to rule the galaxy and he'd be happy when he's ruling the galaxy. He can sit at his throne and have all his you know, Sith and, you know, any stormtroopers and just lord it over everyone, that's not market, right? So, um, I think that's what I, that's kind of some of what I wanted to try and communicate of what was going on in the Nile camp um, and what Gear and Gear is the, is the kind of the, 
the viewpoint character to kind of show us through that and reel a little bit as well. Um, I, I think it was great to have Kira as like the, the viewpoint character, as somebody who, you know, comes from the world that we know and the world that we, you know, I, I think as readers hope that, um, <laughs> hope that our story ends up back in, which is, you know, like structure and peace and, and, you know, trying to in- inject some order into the chaos and then rev- and then in turn, she reveals that chaos in, in, uh, Martian, which I think is very clever. And, uh, yeah, I also just really enjoy the politics of star Wars, which is not always a popular opinion for some, but for me, I was like, yes, give me the politician point of view. I want to see w- how she's thinking about it and how she sees the future. Uh, yeah. And, and it kind of reveals the cracks of, of the whole system, which is great. Very cool. Yeah, some of the best conversations are between Lena So and Gira. They're just so good. Oh, thank you. And not only like is is uh, Gira and and uh, Martian having their own machinations throughout this book and their own motivations, but also General Vise, who's back. Uh, you know, we met her in uh, the Blade by Charles Soule in, in Phase Two, and we know that Porter is trapped behind the Storm Wall. So there's obviously a little bit of shared history there. What was it like for you to tee up? that rematch of the century potentially and literally the um, century literally the century, <laughs> yeah. century 150 years i guess later and um did you get to collaborate with charles at all to kind of fill in uh or you know bring vise back into the picture yeah no absolutely so um it was a lot of fun to do i i think there were there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there really because one of the things i really wanted to do with this book was to put some proper links back to phase two so people see actually phase two is it was it was really fundamental like you know it's it's different it was a step back it was a big risk for us um but it's it's fundamental to what's going on in the now um and kind of porter's story overall is is the strongest link because obviously porter was alive back then um but that allowed me to to kind of do the thing with the ex droid but also the general was was an, an obvious thing and i you know we've we work very closely as a team. So um, kind of me, Tessa and Charles have been particularly talking about, well, the, the adult trilogy that we're, we're working on. And, um, you know, I was, I was teeing up a lot of stuff. Um, so, and, and so Charles has suggested general vice might be a, um, a character visa vice. And it's another Marky and Martian. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, all valid, I guess at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, so that that's that that came from Charles's suggestion, and it, and it, but it just really worked for me because I really wanted to build that those phase two links in, and it's and it became like well, if Porter is the is the gateway to that, we've got his kind of the stories, you know, his remembrance of crashing the shuttle with Crate and and the fact he's been going around trying to build this EX droid because he thinks it might be this outmoded technology that might help get through the storm wall. But then you've got his, you know, nemesis, essentially, this, you know, in, in General Vice, making an appearance, becoming part of the Nile, um, you know, basically sacrificing her entire world to for power, to giving giving them up to the Nile and, and saying, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy my way into the, the, the Nile structure. Um, and, yeah, teeing up that that rematch, it's been a long time in the, in the making. Um, so um so yeah that was it was a lot of fun to do and you know i i loved 
I love Ryan Port's storyline actually throughout the the whole book. I love you know that um, he's he's in a he's in a different place to Avar. You know he's he's it's like he he's he, he's not really looking to. He's, I suppose he's reaching the end of his life. Really, he's, he's thinking about um, I can do a lot of good here. I, you know, people need me on the in the inclusion. I I'm not trying to get out, but I need to get word out. And then when he finds out Avar's there, he's like, oh, I need to get Avar out. I need to help. Um, but he's not so much worried about getting out himself because he knows there's things to do inside the occlusion zone and um and, and taking on vice, stopping vice is part of that. Um, which is, you know, um that big action sequence at the end where he takes the drill ship into her ship and stuff. That was a lot of fun to write. So um so yeah, so you know, who knows where all that's going. I do, but I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Nor will we ask. We will just uh, sit here and um, feel a little bit of panic at you know the fact that you know all the answers and we know nothing. I don't, um, but... don't know all the answers actually. That's one of the what's one of the great things about um, you know you, you talk about these things as a as a group of writers in broad strokes a lot of the time. And, you know, one of the other authors will still astound you in, in the way that they deliver it something or they write something or, you know, so I can't wait to, I, I'm, you know, always looking forward to seeing what the next writer does with the, in the next book. So you've now gotten to write kind of characters in phase one, phase two and phase three of uh, the higher public. Uh, we have a fun little like speculative question and then we can tackle the the big theme question brad i haven't forgotten about it i just wanted to do a little fun speculative question um uh if you can have one character from phase two and one character from phase three to sit down and have a conversation uh who would you choose and what would they chat about it's a really good question um i i think because she because she's i'm super fond of her it would be Solandra's show um, but I'd have a sit down with Ava um, mm. because I think there's a there's some interesting parallels um, and some lessons that could be learned there. You know, one of the things about Salandra is her. You know, she she carries a shield. She doesn't need to carry a shield. No Jedi needs to carry a shield if they've got a lightsaber, but she chooses to carry a shield. Um, so that immediately tells you something about her as a character, and you know her development over. Um, the, the the stories I write in phase two and the and the particularly the short story in Tales of Light and Life as well um, is about recognizing um, how symbolic things can be um, very powerful um, and and give you a philosophy as well and I think she could teach Avar something about how to wear those titles like Hero of Hetzel and Marshall Starlight Beacon. And not have them be a burden, but have them be a strength. Um, so, so I think I think that relationship would be really interesting yeah, to write. That's a great answer. Now I'm gonna go <laughs> come up with like ten head cannons about with their chats because I, I'm I'm really compelled by that. Yeah, that that I, I yeah. So Landra, she has such an interesting and, and very I think unique perspective. That's a it's really compelling. About to log on to Ao3 and start writing that fic. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> They're having, they're having brunch. What's going on? Um, no, I got to also shout out Shield of the Jedi uh, and, and Tales of Light and Life because that was such a wonderful story with Ruper and uh, getting to learn some Shield lore was especially fascinating um, and how it's, you know, passed down. But I think the thing with like the Shield is you don't need it to be a Shield. You don't need it to be the Shield. You can be the Shield yeah. without having it physically, yeah. you know, on your hands. So um, 
maybe that's something Solandra would share with Avar as well. You know, that's I a good so. lesson that I loved. The thing, yeah, it's 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 the idea of you know, um, a, like a title can be a symbol and 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 can guide you, but you don't you, you know you don't have to wear it all the time to to still embody what it means. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I guess as we start to wrap up, I, I want to point to hope being a core theme of this book. And we've alluded to it quite a bit, um, yeah. you know, despite it being called the Eye of Darkness and, and the cover of the book is very foreboding. And we open with this very awful scene with uh, Pretavita and, and Martian Rowe and what's going on there. But at the end of the day, these stories are still always about hope and characters on both sides of the Stormwall are trying to find their hope. They're trying to uh, overcome, you know, the fear that they face. So like, when it comes to hope and how you present it in this book, like how do you feel that it weaves into the larger themes of Star Wars overall? I think it is the theme of Star Wars, actually. I think I think hope is is underpins everything. It's you know, the rebel movement is built on hope in Star Wars. And it's you know, they um there are tiny I mean, look at Rogue One as a prime example. You know, they 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 they're going against the odds all the time, but it's hope that carries them through. Um, and I think, you know, what I wanted to do with this book was you, you start in a very dark place, but you have those seeds of hope. And that's, and that's what Avar, Avar is, that, that, that hope, you know, even though she doesn't realize it herself, she's a, she becomes a beacon of hope in the fact that she gets out and gets back to Coruscant. That's, that's the hope that we, that or the, 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 like flame that rekindles the Jedi's hope because they go, Oh, okay. Someone's made it back. It can be done. You know, this, she's survived for a year in the occlusion zone. She's back and she's, you know, we can do this. We can do this together. Um, but there's even, you know, little moments of hope that like, um, you mentioned like people on both sides of the storm wall, it's a tiny, tiny thing, but there's a moment when Gira, um is you know is basically shot down in what she's saying about you know um building this kind of relationship with the republic and and then another nile takes her aside afterwards and says i i agree i agree with you and so do some of the others i think you know what that that's interesting in so in in a political sense and it's showing a bit of a fracturing but actually it for gira that's a seed of hope that's a seed you know okay i'm not alone in this you know, there are people who will help me. Um, and then you've got, you know, Rill and, um, you know, Quith Meglar helping her. Um, you know, now he's helping her for, for his own personal reasons. He's, he's, he's still on Nile. He's not, he's, he's not a nice guy. But, um, you know, there, there are threads of hope in kind of every story within the book. Like Porter finding the droid, sending the droid out. That's, a, that's another kind of moment of hope. And um, I think it's really important in Star Wars to have it. I think it's, I, I think it, when you write something, this is one of the things that I think I've I've learned over the years, writing for various different brands, like you know, I've written for Doctor Who, or I've written Sherlock Holmes stories or whatever it is. You've got to get the tone right. It's not, you don't have to, it's not so much, there are, there are specifics in the stories. There are people to help you with the specifics of a story always. Um, it, but it has to feel like, a dot two story or it has to feel like a Sherlock Holmes story. And, and in this case, obviously it has to feel like a Star Wars story. And I think to feel like a Star Wars story, it has to have hope at its core. Um, otherwise it's not going to feel like Star Wars. That's every Star Wars story that you, you kind of watch or read 
has that kernel in it. Um, so, so yeah, so I, that's, that's for me, it's, it's absolutely fundamental. Totally. Hope, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it, when you see it, you never make it through the night is one of my favorites <laughs> from uh last Jedi. And, uh, that is so true for our Jedi at this moment. You know, it's like, you gotta, yeah. there's a kernel somewhere. You just gotta find it. It's like a needle in a haystack, but it is, it is there. Yeah. You know, no matter it what. Just, so. It just need, I mean, with the Jedi in, in, in this book, they just needed a win. That's, you know, they'd have a year, a year of banging their heads, literally against the storm wall. Uh, <laughs> and Elzar gets that moment where, cause he's, he's all, you know, we've got to fight, we've got to fight, we've got to fight. And he gets that moment and that's, that's, you know, crushing absolutely crushing feet when everything goes wrong and he sends those people to their deaths um and it, for him it just kind of just makes everything so much worse but then getting avar back at the end is that that that's the win they needed uh so you know we'll see again we'll see in the in the future stories how that develops but um for me that was that was kind of the it's quite a minor win in the in the grand scale of the galaxy at this point you know one jedi escapes the occlusion zone it's like it didn't you know at one point i was kind of worried or do we need a bigger win do we need a a a big victory then and i thought no actually it's enough because it's because it speaks to the theme because it's more so than any big lightsaber fight i mean you know there's obviously plenty of action in the run-up anyway but it's it's a character moment and that's for me and it's about hope and that for me that was a, a good enough kind of signing off point I think for me as a, and by I speak for Brad in this one as well, as somebody who loves both Avzar, uh, Avzar now I've just put together their names, that's just where I'm going. Um, <laughs> Elzar and Avar, uh, you know, seeing that moment of hope, I think was a, was, was very, uh, was a big moment of relief and, and that hopeful uh, feeling at the end of this book. I was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, to see them back together. Because I think when we, you know, read began to hear some of the synopses of, of uh, where we were at at the beginning of phase three. I was like, no, they're apart. Why would they do this to us? <laughs> this, so but, we can know. bring them back together, of course. Right, that's, right, right. And then we feel yeah. that, that, that good feeling. Um, so it yeah. happened. It worked. Um, but, uh, you know, looking towards the future and we are asking for no details. We are no gotchas, nothing like that. But we know that you have Tears of the Nameless still upcoming and we're really excited about it. And that's a part of the young adult trilogy of books, which we have also loved throughout yeah. all the phases so far. Uh, how's exciting, how exciting is it to know that you have another story coming up, uh, getting to tackle, I would imagine, some new characters that, uh, f- for you and then obviously some new characters as well as books go um, and uh, bringing that story to life next year? Yeah, no, um, it's amazing. It's it's brilliant. I mean, you know, um, I just don't want it to stop. Is the truth? You know, I, I'm having so much fun writing these books, um, even even at the darkest moments. Um, you know, there there are. I've given people three words about Tears of the Nameless, so I'll, I'll I'll let you have them as well. Those three words are wreath, Aslin, and fear. Um, those are our uh, favorite words. Why would you say this to us right those now? Those are our favorite words. But, sit yeah, here and yeah. anticipate. <laughs> but I think, um, for for me, you know, so wreath. You know, I'm not I, I'm not going to expand on on what's in the book, but getting to write that character it was huge for me. And um, you know, I it's what's great about switching from from you know different formats within in kind of the run is being able to switch different those different subsets of characters. So you know. We've done with Ivdana. I've, I've kind of I've played with the the toys. The beat, you know, I've had Avar and Elzar and Marky and Roe and Porter, 
Um, and what I'm doing now is switching to that subset of kind of YA characters, um, which is which is great, you know. So um, I won't be satisfied until I've done everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we need to, uh, you know, just kindly knock on Lucasfilm's door and be like, more? please. <laughs> I was going to say the holidays are coming up. Maybe, maybe all the luminous authors just need to pitch in and get like a really, really nice gift for Michael. Siglane, and just be like, Michael, there's some potential here for a phase four. Just kidding. <laughs> we want to write more. Come four on. Through eight, um... <laughs> there's a phase three, believe me. Absolutely ahead of us. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. And yeah. We, we love these characters and uh, between all of the, the phases, all of the phases and all of the age levels and getting to dive into them. And it's, it's hard when somebody asks you like, okay, I want to jump into the higher public. What should I read? And I'm like, all everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I hope, I hope people can read, you know, different th- th- threads through the, the, the kind of stories without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling that they have to read everything. But obviously, you know, we we do wind everything together um, so that for people who are reading it all, they get the maximum benefit. So, um, so yeah, so I know, I know there are, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, I haven't read phase two yet. Can I, can I read Eye of Darkness after Fallen Star? And I was like, well, hopefully it will make sense. I think, you know, I, I tried to catch people up on kind of what was relevant, but, you're going to miss a lot of nuance and a lot of kind of, you know, you're seeing the origins of the Nile in phase two. You're seeing, you know, threads that are going to play out in, in Eye of Darkness. Um, so, you know, I hope, I hope people enjoy reading it all as well. I've recently got a friend, friend into it. She is, she was like, I'm late to this. She read the, she read Light of the Jedi and was like, I'm in what's next give it to me let's go and so i think uh it, it might be a daunting start for some folks you know when they see like the quantity of how many books have been released but uh once you jump in it's it's i would say it's pretty hard to stop reading the high republic there there's a lot to uncover and enjoy so thank you for being a part of that and uh bringing us these characters that we uh love so much back into our our brains through this book so thank you for reading it it's, it's much appreciated very last question just to leave off on a note uh not not even just the high republic but overall is just what has star wars meant to you as a as a creator as a fan uh just to send us off here um well i think we've touched on it already i think hope is a is a is a key factor but more than anything actually it's family um both kind of family and found family as well i think you know there's there's a, a whole element of that in the star wars stories and and for me in terms of family, you know, it's something like that I've shared with, as I mentioned earlier, my grandfather, my 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 own dad, and then as a dad, I've shared with my kids as they've grown up. Um, so it's you know a generational love of Star Wars in the family, uh, and, and shared moments together. But but then also the found family element, you know, that some of my very best friends have come from from Star Wars, both as as fans and as fellow creators, and. Um, you know, I think without without Star Wars, I, I wouldn't know some of these people, um, or wouldn't have had some of those key moments that I've had with with family members over the years. So that's that's kind of what it means to me. That's beautiful. I love that. Star Wars is family. Insert uh, Vin Diesel meme from uh, from uh, Fast and Furious. It's all about family, <laughs> but it's real. It's so real. 
Yeah. Not it just so for real, the meme. Though. Yeah. I, I, I love that answer. Um, and uh, thank you for being a part of the Star Wars family, the High Republic family. Uh, we appreciate all the work that you've done and uh, can't wait for whatever's next. So uh, thanks, George, so much for joining us and celebrating this very special life day uh, together. Where can our listeners find you online and uh, what else do you have that's coming out that we maybe haven't alluded to or discussed yet? So um, you can find me probably best at Instagram um, at George Man Author. Um, I've got, I mean, it's mostly Star Wars because I've been so busy with Eye of Darkness and, and Tears of the Nameless, um, but there's the Qui-Gon um, graphic novel coming out as well. Um, so um, hopefully people will enjoy that. And, and that's got some um, not so subtle links back to the Battle of Jeddah as well. So for people who've enjoyed that, there's a, there's a payoff there as well. Um, which is, um, you know, isn't, isn't a spoiler because it's alluded to in the, in the press release that Dark Horse put out. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, that's it. Um, at the moment, it's all, it's all Star Wars, which is all good. Very good. <laughs> it's very good. So it's always a good call to get when you want to, you get to write more Star Wars. So we hope Absolutely. it keeps coming. <laughs> Thank you, George, so much. And, uh, may the force be with you. And you. Thank you again for joining us on this fun interview with George Mann. We hoped you enjoyed listening to it just as much as we enjoyed chatting with him. And we hope that you enjoyed the eye of darkness and will join us in our upcoming book discussion right here on the podcast feed because, ha, huh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. We have so much to discuss and I cannot wait. Uh, but if you want to know when that episode drops, make sure you're following us on all of our socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, as well as uh, follow us on the podcast feed of your choice and uh, subscribe to the show. Drop us a rating if you enjoyed it uh, so other folks find the show as well and join on the High Republic discussion. Our patrons help to keep the lights on here at Friends of the Force, and we're very grateful for them. So thank you to Ben, Brian, Cheryl Clay, Deborah, Emma Huang, Jennifer, Katie, Knights of Ren, Leanne, Logan, Lucy, Lindsay, Matthew, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Santa, Skytalker, Stephen, Tom, and Travis. We're really, really grateful for your support. And thank you to all of our High Republic friends and listeners across the galaxy who tune in uh, and join us for these various High Republic discussions uh, for light and life, my dear friends. Absolutely. For light and life. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to George and Del Rey for uh, making this episode happen. And until next time, everybody, may the force be with you always. <laughs>